All right. This morning, my original plan was to start with the scripture and then kind of ease into where I wanted to go. But we're going to do we're going to reverse this a little bit. And how we're going to do this is we're going to kind of start more with the topic and then we're going to go to the scriptures. Everyone knows that we're following the historical lectionary. So we have an Old Testament reading, we have an epistle reading, and we have a gospel. So we will get to those and try to look to those t- to some level. But it's the last day of 2023. So a lot of times when people consider the new year, they do a lot about making resolutions, right? And when we make a new year's resolution, what, what, do we, what, what is a resolution? What do we mean by that? We're making a goal. Would that be something, right? We're making a goal. Dare we say we're kind of making a promise, at least to ourselves, that we're going to do this or that, right? We're going to make a promise. So the word I want you to write down today is the word promise or promises, all right? Because I think this is, I think... There's at least, this is the direction I'm going to go. When we look at the readings today, I think that the theme of promises at least is present. I'm not saying it's the most prominent, but I think it is present. So how would you define a promise? How would you define a promise? I mean, come on, everyone here has made promises and had promises made. How do we define a promise? Okay. A couple of definitions. A promise is a commitment by someone to do or not do something. A promise is a commitment to someone to do or not do something. All right? As a noun, promise means a declaration assuring that one will or will not do something. As a verb, as a verb, it means to commit oneself by a promise to do or give. It can also mean a capacity of good similar to a value that is to be realized in the near future. But you get the idea. You're promising to do something or not do something. We've all made promises, right? And we've all, we've all broken promises. Every single person in this room has broken a promise. If you don't think you have, please write a book on tell us how to do it, all right? And I think that if we are true, if we are honest with ourselves theologically, this could raise a serious question. If we're honest with ourselves theologically, it probably would be good to do what? Not make any promises. Is there, is there a, is, and I'm, I'm going to have y'all participate a lot this morning, so just be ready for that, okay? All right. Um, someone look in the Gospel of Matthew, where Jesus seems to kind of indicate that maybe making promises is not the way to go. I narrowed it down to the Gospel of Matthew, so I made it simple for you. And this is not one of the lectionary readings today, but that's okay, right? And Siri is looking for the answer right now, so Siri's going to start talking to us. I don't know why Siri came on. You, thank you, Siri. You can have a good day now. Go away. Yeah, not making promises. Who can find it? Who can find it? I, I could, well, never mind. I could, I could ask the AI. I got the cha- AI chat box on my iPad. I could ask AI. They'd find, AI is good, really good. Do what? Uh, yes, Matthew. Matthew 5.37. Let's look at it really quick. Matthew 5.37, because I think we're going to end up going a direction here that maybe I didn't originally intend, but I think this is important discussion here. All right, Matthew chapter 5. 
verse 37. Matthew chapter 5, verse 37. All right, are you ready here? I'm going to go back to verse 33 for context. Matthew 5, 33. This is a part of the Sermon on the Mount, right? All right, here we go. Again, you have heard that it has been said by them of old time, thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is the footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Now they would try to promise by swearing or making an oath to something. Kids do this all the time. I swear, you know, by whatever, right? I swear, like, hey, I, I, I'm going to say this. And then people will be like, yeah, really? No, I swear, I swear. Well, that's the, the concept. We, Jesus is saying, don't do that. And why does he say not to do that? What does he go on to say? What does he go on to say here? Neither uh, shall thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. All right. So in other words, you, a lot of these making these oaths and swearing, it's just, it's just ridiculous. There's no reason. But here's what Jesus tells us to do. But let your communication be, yay, yay, Nay, nay, for whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. How does the NIV translate verse 37? Let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything other than that? Sin is going to get involved somehow. That's why I'm not a big fan of marriage vows. I'm not a big fan of marriage vows at all. Because people make all of these vows and they say, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this. 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 And everybody thinks, oh, it's so pretty. It's a Hallmark movie. And then five seconds later, the person who was standing there going, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. is immediately calling their mother or calling someone going, the guy's a jerk and I'm really getting irritated with him and I don't know why. And I, whoa, you made some serious promises. Right? And that's even more, and that's even more dangerous. Why? Because you may, supposedly, if it's Christians, typically, at least, at least in practice, right? In theory, you're standing there and you're making those promises to whom? To one another, to God. And then if you do it really theologically, to the church, which then creates like a million moral and ethical issues because then the church is somehow responsible then for making sure you keep said promise and then the church could be one involved in disciplining you. For, oh, the whole thing, it's just a sham. The whole thing is for show more than it is for anything else. That, and I know that's not very romantic, but there's just, there's just truth to it. What is our problem with promises? We have a sinful nature. So our mouth speaks promises. Our heart is described as deceitful above all things. So when the mouth is speaking, it is speaking from a heart that is deceitful above all things. That's a pretty, like, if you knew that Stephen Danzler was the greatest liar on earth. He just like, hey, there were documentaries about his great lying, right? Like Stephen Dazzler lies. Like he is the greatest liar. And then he walks into church and you're like, oh, there's the greatest liar. I was watching him on TV last night, right? He is the greatest liar. And he walks up to you and say, hey, I'll give you $500 today. What is going to be your response? 
Whatever, whatever, Stephen, you're the greatest liar. Just shut up and leave us alone, right? You wouldn't even take it serious. Well, just think in a roundabout way, every time anyone says anything to you, it gives you a promise, you really should just say whatever because that mouth is speaking from a heart that is deceitful above all things. What is the greatest, what is the most deceptive thing on earth? Your heart. The most deceptive thing on earth is whose heart? Yours. So we have a weird relationship with promises. We make them. We get upset when they are broken. But we seem to forget our theology, which says we probably shouldn't make them. Okay? We probably shouldn't. Now, I know some people's theology will be like, that's just not the case. So we have a weird, we have a weird relationship with promises, yes? But promises have a profound impact on us emotionally and psychologically. Let me just go through some of the psychological impacts promises have on us, right? They affect us psychologically deeply. Number one, promises bring about a feeling of trust and security, When someone makes a promise to us, it creates a sense of trust and security. Promises imply a commitment to follow through on something which can provide us with a sense of reassurance and stability. I would say, you're foolish forever feeling that. I know that's not nice, but I would just say it's from a theological perspective, why would you trust anyone? Now, I'm not saying you walk around as maybe jaded and as cynical as I am, right? Don't, don't follow that path, but you have to follow a path that your theology takes you. Remember, I've often said that, I've often said, we believe in human depravity theoretically. We don't believe in human depravity practically. We really don't. We really don't. Because if we did, it would really change the way we think, Right? That's why, look, this is why I am 1,000% early in the history of this church. People wanted me to create a church covenant. And then have everyone sign it. And I'm like, absolutely not. Because you, and what, has anybody seen church covenants? What are some of the basic things you promise? To attend all services faithfully to engage in private and family devotions on a regular and consistent basis, to tithe on a regular and consistent basis. You just go on and on. To, sir, to, to uh, defend and protect the church. You go on and on. There would be church disciplining people everywhere. And guess what? Once you sign that covenant in a roundabout way, what have you now done? I, to quote a famous lyric, you can check in, but you can never check out. Okay? There's no, there's no leaving. Okay? okay, some of you got the musical reference. Some of you did. All right. that, yeah, that, there's no way out. You can say, well, I, I, don't, I believe you're teaching false. Well, you can believe I teach false all day. You, ch- you signed a church covenant. You ain't going anywhere. And if you go somewhere, I'm turning you over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. That's crazy. No, 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 no. I know way. Because the one thing I know, everyone in this, is sitting in this room including the one standing behind the pulpit and everyone listening online, we are liars by nature. 
because we have a deceptive heart. So I understand promises give you a sense of trust. They give you a sense of security. But theologically, you're setting yourself up for what? For pain and disappointment. What else? Promises give us a sense of expectation and anticipation. Promises often create expectations and anticipation within us. When someone promises something, we start to imagine the positive outcome and the the result that we associate with that promise. We get excited when someone makes a promise. We get excited because we think it's going to happen. So in anticipation, expectation. Number three, emotional impact. Promises can invoke strong emotional reactions within us. If promises are broken or unfulfilled, it can lead to feelings of disappointment, betrayal, and hurt. Well, I can understand why we would feel that way. But theologically, what should we expect? If people, if anyone makes any promise... I know this is creating a very jaded view of life, but I'm just sorry. I don't, let's just be honest. Human depravity is not a very wonderful concept, is it? It's not. But so many times in church, we act like that doesn't exist. But if if Bobby makes a promise, the person making that promise has what kind of a heart? A deceitful heart. Deceitful, how deceitful? Above all things. Now, I know some Christians try to claim that you now, that, that heart is just magically gone, but if that heart was magically gone, then you should be magically perfect. And since you're not magically perfect, I'm going to assume that the old heart is still present, okay? Right? I, I get tired of that teaching that Christians have because it's just ridiculous. Those passages about a new heart are covenant promises to the nation of Israel, which they don't have yet, okay? So, all right, just so that we can get into all that out of the way. All right, Accountab- accountability and responsibility. When promises are made, they hold individuals accountable for their words and actions. When we make a promise, it signifies our willingness to take responsibility for fulfilling our commitment. This can promote personal growth, integrity, and a sense of ownership over actions. Well, that's great that it creates a sense of accountability and responsibility. It does. But I'm going to make a theological argument that's not going to be very popular. I don't think that there is ever a way. I don't think there's a way that any person will ever keep a promise completely because I think our sinful nature almost makes it impossible to keep it completely oh you may be able to keep it externally but you're not going to keep it internally in some way shape or form right that's that's going to be my argument I know that's not popular psychological well-being Fulfilling promises can contribute to our psychological well-being. When we keep the promises we make, we, we make it enhances our, our self-esteem, self-confidence, and self-worth. It reinforces a positive self-image and the belief that we are capable of following through in our commitments. However, broken promises can have adverse effects, leading to feelings of mistrust, resentment, bitterness, diminished self-esteem, and we can go on and on and on and on and on and on and on. Promises, we're all impacted by promises. Psychologically, at the very depth of your being, you are impacted by it. If you're a parent, you'll have kids broken and crying and upset when a promise is not fulfilled. You'll be upset at them and they'll be upset at you if everyone is impacted by promises. We we live in a world where promises are made all the time. In fact, it's just our nature to make a promise, isn't it? 
And I think when we make them that there's a part of us that really wants to do so. We really want to keep them. But I think we sometimes forget our ability. Now, guess what, where this becomes complicated? Well, we experience promises in a certain way. So what do we do when God makes promises? Now, before we consider anything else, and before I get you involved, because you're going to be involved here in a minute, let's quickly, and we've got to go quickly, Let's explore the lectionary readings for today. Everybody ready? The lectionary readings for today. Does everybody know what the lectionary readings for today are? If you do not, well, you're about to. If you have the Church One app, I sent them out to you early this morning. Um, But if you don't have them, here we go. Everybody ready? The lectionary readings for today, the first one, there's a bunch of options here, but we're going to go with these, is Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. Now, as soon as I go to Genesis chapter 15, do you understand why my introduction went so long on promises? Because what's Genesis chapter 15? Yeah, we have some promises here, do we not? Let's start in verse 1. Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abraham in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abraham, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Just stop right there. Is that kind of making some promises? You could be saying he's establishing a fact, but there's promises that would be connected to it. Would there not? Yes, there's promises connected to it, yes? All right. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram, and Abram said, Behold to me, thou hast given No seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. Now, what is Abraham referring to here? He's pointing out that something hasn't happened yet. Why is he pointing out that something hasn't happened yet? Where was the the original promise? Who can find it first? Where was the original promise? Come on, everyone's got to know this. It's Genesis 15, so... You know, the, you know the original promise wasn't in the first 11 chapters, right? Okay, right. Genesis 12. Okay, right, okay. It's a pretty simple question, right? Where Someone re- find the verse where the uh, promise is being made that Abraham is possibly referencing here in Genesis 15. Yeah, there we go. Genesis 12, 2. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and, that, and thou shall be a blessing. All right, that sounds great. Now here... God comes back to him and says, hey, Abraham, I'm your shield. I'm your great reward. And and what is Abraham? Abraham doesn't even care about the shield or great reward, does he? He ignores that, right? And what does he immediately he goes to? Lord God, what will thou give me seeing I go childless? And the steward of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, behold to me, thou hast given no seed. And lo, one born in my house is mine heir. He immediately does what? Where is the fulfillment of the promise? You made a promise. I want to see that promise. He's having a reaction to the, pro- to the, to the lack of fulfillment, is he not? Verse 4, And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thy own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now, behold, 
uh, look now toward heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto them, so shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. So he had made a promise. There's been now this time has passed. Still no promise has been fulfilled. And so he then does what? Reinstates the promise. Still no fulfillment of said promise, correct? All right. Now, uh, oh, there's oh, there's a lot here we could do in chapter 15. Oh, there's a lot here we could do in 15. But just so that you know, there, there's all this. So a promise was made in 12. The promise is restated in 15. When you come to 16, well, what takes place? Everyone knows 16. Everyone knows 16. Okay. One of the most disturbing chapters in the Bible, right? Okay, because remember at some point, even, now he told him, I'm going to be your shield, right? But they, as they're traveling, Abraham gets a little worried about maybe the shield is not working. Because he's like, hey, we're going to go in here. They may kill me. You tell them you're my sister, right? So he does all of this. Now they go down, they come out of Egypt. They come out of Egypt with a slave. Her name is Hagar, Right? And then Sarah comes up with a great idea. Hey, God's made promises. And Sarah's looking at her watch going, uh, I'm getting old. And nothing's happening. So she comes up with a brilliant idea to try to fulfill God's promise. Now, it's not a brilliant idea as far as Hagar is concerned because, well, we won't get into how messed up that whole thing is. Right? But they try. And does that turn out good? Does that turn out well? No, it does not. Now, guess what's happening? They're reacting to promises. A promise has been made. A promise has been restated. The promise has been fulfilled. So they're going to try to put into action a way in order to get the promise to be fulfilled. Very difficult, right? Okay, now go to, but the, the lectionary doesn't want us to stop in 16. They want us to go to chapter 21. They want us to go to uh, 21. So the lectionary wants us in 15, 1 through 6, then it jumps to 21. 21, 1, and the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son that was born unto him, whom Sarah bare to him, Isaac. So what do they want us to see? God made promises. Abraham clearly was like, where is the fulfillment of said promise? 16, they try to fix it. But in 21, God does exactly as he had said. So God keeps his promise. Okay, keep that in mind. Keep that in mind, all right? The second reading is Hebrews. Hebrews 11. Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11. Now, as soon as we go to Hebrews chapter 11, everyone knows what the chapter is about, right? This is the faith chapter. Okay, good. Everyone should know that, all right? Hebrews chapter 11. They want us to jump all over the place. Let's go to verse 8. All right, what's the first two words? By faith. Next word? Abraham. Okay, so you can see why they connect this one with what we just read, right? Genesis 15 dealt with Abraham. Now they're in Hebrews eleven eight. By faith, Abraham, 
when he was called to go out into a place which he should, after receive for inheritance, obeyed and went out, not knowing whether he went. That's important, right? He was told to do something. He doesn't know where he's going, but he went. That, that, that by faith part is interesting, right? By, verse 9, Faith, right? Now, they don't, they don't want us to read this. They want us to skip, but we're going to read it. By faith, he sojourned in a land of promise. Please note, he sojourned in a land of promise. See, there's, I think, to me, this is the key here. As in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promises. Same promise. See, there's, there's that promise mentioned twice there, right? Is it not? Okay, then verse 11. Okay, I'm just going to skip now because that's where they want us to go. Through faith, also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Are you getting a, con- are you getting a concept starting to arise to the f- forefront of your brains at this point, right? Therefore sprang there even of one and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky, multitude as the sand, which is by the seashore, innumerable. Right? So, and if you go look at verse 13, if you wanted to look at it, these all died in faith. Not having received the promises. Oh, wow. That means there were promises made that some of these individuals never received. Oh, that could create some problems, could it not? That could create some prob- uh, problems, right? Okay, but let's jump to verse 17. because That's where they want us to jump. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, uh, and, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. Now, that, that's a crazy part, right? This is the promise that he'd been waiting for. And now the promise that he gets, he's going to offer it up. There's a lot we could talk about right here. Next verse. Of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. In other words, this was the fulfillment of the promise. Verse 19. Accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. Now that gives us the reason why Abraham was willing to sacrifice Isaac. Because he believed God could. Raise him from the dead. All right, those, that's the epistle reading. Oh, and clearly that brings the promise idea to the forefront, does it not? Genesis hinted at it. This brings it to the forefront. Now, they want us to go to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. This is the gospel reading. Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. All right, there's a lot here, but let's look at them all. Luke chapter 2. We'll go to 21 for context, even though they want us to start in 22. You know how I like the context. Luke 2.22, or Luke 2.21, And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of purification accomplished, the law of Moses uh, were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every man that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons, right? They're following the law of Moses. A male child has been born. Sacrifice has to be given. Okay, we, got, we have all of that. And then verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. 
And And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. Now, what does it say he's waiting for? The waiting for the consolation, the consolation of Israel. How does the NIV translate that? The consolation. What does consolation mean? Someone look up consolation. Tell me what it means. The English word, we can look up the Greek word. Let's look up everything. Let's see what we can make sure we know exactly what he's waiting for. He's waiting for something, right? Let's figure out what he's waiting for. Whoever gets it right first wins nothing. But you can say you found it first. Consolation. Come on, who can tell me what it is? Consolation. Okay, a comfort. What else do we have? Greek word. Comfort's the idea. Okay, so he's been waiting for the comfort. Now, why is he waiting for comfort? He seems to be waiting for something that he feels has been promised. Oh, we're back to a promise concept. All right. See how quickly we got back to that same concept? All right. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. He has another promise, right? And the Lord's Christ is a reference to what? The Messiah, right? And, it came, and he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought uh, in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then he took him up in his arms, blessed God, and said, Lord, now let us thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before all the face of, uh, before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at these things which were spoken of him. Now, there's more they want us to read, but you get the basic idea. What did he finally, what finally happened? The promise was fulfilled. That ultimate promise was fulfilled. In fact, you could argue the ultimate promise going all the way back to Genesis 12 and 15 finally showed up because through Abraham, all the world's going to be blessed and they're going to be blessed through whom? Through Christ, who, and it, and it mentions both Jew and Gentile, does it not? Right? Through all the nations, the ultimate fulfillment. The only problem is that's a long ways from Genesis 12 to Jesus. That's a long ways. A lot of ups and downs. A lot of difficulties. So here's what we need to do. And we're going to do this together. All right? I could have just come up with this on my own, but I did not want to do this. In fact, I think I have, because I, I like to get you involved here. In fact, if I look in my notes, I think I put down... Um, yeah, I put down a couple of concepts here, but I, I don't want to do that. I, I don't want to, I don't, I'm just going to have us work on it together. All right, so here's what I want us to do. The concept today, promises. Can we all agree the promises have a profound psychological impact on all of us? Yes. When promises are not fulfilled, do they, does it not have a profound psychological impact on all of us? 
Yes. However, if we're even remotely honest with ourselves, there's an inherent problem with the whole concept of promises in us because we have a sinful nature, meaning that we're not going to probably keep our promises and we shouldn't expect people who make them to probably keep them to it. Even though I know that sounds like, man, you have a low, uh, a low view of humans. I, I have a, what I believe is a biblical view of humans, which is we're all sinners and fall short of the glory of God. And we have a heart that's desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. So I think it's better to have a realistic view, right? Than a Disney view, right? The Disney view says, follow your heart. The Bible says that's a horrible idea. Okay. Agreed. Right? So, all right, we cannot, can we, uh, that's what, so that's how far we've got. However, we know that God does what? He makes promises. Lots of promises. And we know that we have a very back and forth at times with God's promises. They can produce that positive, but sometimes we are confused and perplexed by it. So when it comes to God's promises, well, we're, we're going to start establishing just a couple of rules of policies or principles, I should say, not policies, principles. I'm going to have you help me develop some, right? So I'm going to make you work these out for it. I was going to just write them all out myself based on a lot of things that we've just read, but I'm not going to do that. Let's at least come up with one, right? Let's at least come up with one very good principle when dealing with God's promises. What do you think is going to be my number one go-to when it comes to principles dealing with God's promises? What do you think is my number one rule? Yeah, don't. We should ensure that we never claim or grab onto promises that are not for us. Do not do that. Okay, right? If, if Eli has some friend over at the house, right? And the girls are listening to Eli talk to his friend and his friend's like, hey man, I'm gonna give you $100 next week. And then the girls start running around the house going, woo, I get $100 next week. They're gonna be sadly disappointed because that promise was not for them. And I doubt Eli's gonna split it with them, Right? He'll give it to me, but not to them, right? Okay, because, you know, you know, that's what he would do, right? Okay, no, he's probably not, he's not going to do that. Because that would be very disappointing. Well, there's a lot of people who somehow were overhearing a conversation. It's called the Bible. We're listening to God have a conversation with someone else, and we jump in going, right there, that's ours. I saw this when the COVID situation, where people were uh, claiming Psalm 91, because God's going to deliver us from the pestilence. It has nothing to do with you. Stop it! What's the most famous one? Yeah, I know the one that just, I lose it. I just, I, I go, I hear it and I go directly to the liquor store because I can't take it anymore. It's in Jeremiah. Who can find it? Who can find it? Right, 2911? And what does it say? To bless you. And everybody takes that. And according to high school graduations that I had to go to because of the Dazzlers. Still taking counseling for that. Okay? Like, what is wrong with this? Right? Someone reading that to their kids, graduation, that has nothing to do with any of those kids. Zero. There was a church near Becca's house that had that on their son, and I wanted to go knock on the door for the church. And when they came to the door, I was going to say, oh, oh, that you, you have people in your church that this verse is applicable to? I need to talk to them because they were in Babylonian captivity and I've never spoken to anyone who was in Babylonian captivity because they're all dead. But I figured that probably wouldn't go very good with the church. 
But why would they put that on their church side? They're ridiculous. That's foolish. Jeremiah 29 is not about us. It's specifically given to people who were in Babylonian captivity. God did have plans to prosper them. And that was what? To bring them out of Babylonian captivity. And then not only that, they are Israel. He's got real promises for them that are not for us. Don't do that. That's a simple rule. When you find a promise in the Bible, what should your initial thoughts be? Who was that promise originally given to? And does it have anything to do with me? That'll, keep, that'll go a long way from keeping you getting very frustrated and discouraged and, and crushed and, and hurt. It's one thing that ticks me off so much is when people take promises about healing and apply them to the present. I, I, I talked about this on the podcast this week and I'm, I'm, I'm going to state this and I don't have the, the uh, quote right in front of me. It's written on a piece of paper where I do podcasting, but heresy, heresy is truth misplaced. Heresy is truth misplaced. Sometimes it is the true thing. It's a true statement. It's a true, but it's misplaced. Let me give you an example. Does the Bible say that by his stripes we are healed? Yes, it does. Does the Bible seem to promise that there's going to be a time where there's going to be no more pain, no more sickness, and no more death? Yes, it does. The heresy is where you take those promises and say that they are for when? Now. Now you've misplaced the truth. There is no guarantee in the present that God is going to heal you and fix all of those problems. That is a promise made for when? glorification. Then where there's going to be no more pain, no more sin, and no more death. It's the same idea when people take the promises that are for glorification, where there's going to be no more sinful nature, and act like that that's the promise for today. That's foolish. So when it comes to God's promises, what's rule number one? Who is it for? And don't claim it. Don't claim it for yourself. All right? That, is that a good one? All right. Principle number two. What do you think? Now, now I'm going to ask y'all to come in here. What do you think is another good principle about dealing with God's promises? Okay, let's go with uh, Diane. That's a good one. All right? We, we have to believe that God will keep them. Now, he's going to keep them his way and his time. So let's try to develop a number of scriptures that would seem to emphasize that God keeps his promises. Y'all start looking and see who can find some. I've got a number of written down here, but see what you can find. Find some pro- uh, scriptures that would seem to emphasize that God will keep his promises. I've got one, two, three, four, five. I've got five here in front of me. Well, you, you, however you think it works. I'm, I don't, I don't want to do the work for you, right? So find me something. That would say, this gives me confidence that God keeps his promises. I think this is an important principle to remember. Number one, we don't grab the wrong promises. We don't grab onto the wrong ones. See who come up with a first one. Okay, that's a... Okay, let's... uh, We'll see how it reads. 
It's not quite where I was going to go, but that's, that's, that's why I'm having y'all looking up, because then I can learn stuff here. So here we go. 1 Corinthians 1.9, we read this. God is faithful by whom you were called uh, unto the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So we will say when it comes to God's promises, we can clearly state that God is faithful. And the Bible says that probably quite a few times, does it not? All right, so God is faithful. Okay. Another one. Anybody got another one? Hebrews what? Hebrews 3, 6. All right. Okay. Let's see what that says. Hebrews 3, 6. They are going different directions. That's interesting. Let's 3, 6. What does it say? But Christ, as a son over his own house... Whose house are we if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end? I think it says more about us holding on to it and having confidence. I don't know if it really gives us any assurance that God is faithful. All right, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. All right, let's try that one. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. What do we have here? 1 Corinthians 10, 13. What do we have? What do we have? What do we have? We're going to run out of time. First Corinthians 10, 13. There is no temptation taken to you, but such as common to man. But God is faithful. I just stress his faithfulness again. God is faithful. who will not suffer you to be able to be tempted above what you are able, but will with the temptation also make it way to escape. You may be able to bear it. A lot of controversies around that one, but it says God is faithful again. All right. Anybody got a different one? Any, anything? How about Numbers 2319? I thought someone would go here. Numbers 2319? Numbers 2319? I think this one is pretty helpful, at least per- personally. Numbers 2319. Tell me when you're there. Numbers 2319? God is not a man that he should lie. Neither the Son of Man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or, if, or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? As the NIV says, God is not a human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and, and not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? I think that's a very good one right there. God doesn't lie. God doesn't change his mind. God is faithful. God is immutable. God will keep his promise. Is that a pretty good one? All right. Uh, okay, yeah, then we'll just go, we'll, we'll go, we'll go to Hebrews, well, we'll go to Hebrews 10, 23 in a minute. All right, we'll go to that in a second. I think that, I think that's a good one. So here's what we need to do. Number one, we don't grab onto the wrong promises. Number two, we have to remember that God is faithful to keep his promise. God will be faithful to keep it. Does it always feel like it? Does it always seem like it? Now, we got to remember, he's faithful to do what? To keep the actual promise. Not a promise that you want or a promise you think, but the promise he's made. He's faithful to keep his. Don't make, you can't make promises for him, okay? That's a, that's a really bad idea. That's a really bad idea, okay? That will lead you to major despair and, and, and depression. But he is faithful. We have to trust in his faithfulness. 
right? What's the third principle when it comes to God's promises? What do you think? Okay, we'll get to that one maybe in a minute. Oh, come on. This is a part of, uh, this is a basic concept uh, found in uh, Bible study methods. One of the very first Bible study methods, I refer to it as the space pets, right? Okay, nobody obviously is very familiar with it. We well, you've taught it about a million times. <laughs> all right, all right, okay, good. All right, and, what, and the space pets is an acronym, right? Okay? Does that remember some of those things that the, the acronym stands for? One of those things stands for promises. Okay, very good. And what did I teach you a million times when it comes to God's promises? There are three kinds. Okay, there are three kinds. Three kinds, all right? First kind of promise. Uh, We'll call it unconditional. What's an unconditional promise? There's no condition that has to be met. There's nothing. God just makes a promise. It's unconditional, right? Second kind conditional. And then third, not applicable, right? It's not applicable. Well, we've already dealt with that, right? Our first principle was what? Don't grab onto promises that are not for you. Don't grab onto the not not applicable uh, passages. If they're not applicable, they don't apply. Don't grab onto them. We got that. Second, God is faithful. We trust in the fact that he is faithful. He will keep it. Number three, this is important. You have to identify if there is a condition to said promise. Because if there is a condition to said promise, you've got to be looking at your own, if you're meeting the condition, which now we've got to always be careful to see if there is an actual condition. Now, just remember, now this is very important. Okay, everybody got your thinking caps on? This is very important. Sometimes God's promise is conditional, but the condition is met in Christ. Does everyone hear that? Now, when I was younger, I did not necessarily go with that concept. When I first taught this, I taught the conditions were ours to be met to be met by us. But then as you really start learn about human depravity, we will realize quickly, we will never meet the conditions most of the time. So then we have to find that the conditions are met in Christ. And I think in some ways, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Can't believe we're going to run out of time. Okay, it never has happened in the history of this church. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. You may want to circle this one and write this one down. For all the promises of God. Everybody see that? How many promises of God? All the promises of God are yay. And in him, amen, unto the glory of God by us. They are all yay. In him, amen. Ultimately, how are the God's promises always a yes? We'll look at the context. Verse 19. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, even by me, Silvanus, Timothus, was not yea and nay, but in him was yea. It's in Christ. 
In Christ, God's promises are yay. In, God, in Christ, God's promises are amen. Because the, he is the one who fulfills the conditions. Correct? There's a promise for eternal life. But that's going to be fulfilled ultimately in Christ, yes? We have to have Christ. So does everyone understand? That's very important. But we have to note if there's a condition and then determine, is the condition met by us or is it met by Christ? I think in 99% of the cases, it's met by Christ. Maybe even 100% probably, but we could at least throw that out there. That's a, we've not dealt with that concept too much here in this church. So now we've just added a whole new concept to this discussion on promises, which we've talked about multiple times. So what's the first principle? Don't grab promises that are not for you. Slap your hand, all right? Okay, don't do that. Number two, God is faithful. We've got to trust in that faithfulness. We have to. What happens if we don't trust in God's faithfulness? No, we don't have hope. We typically then take it upon ourselves to then institute, try to bring God's uh, promises to pass. And when we try to do that, it leads to disaster. Please see Genesis 16. In fact, you can see a million other cases. Right? It's always, it's always going to go negative when we try to do it ourselves. It doesn't work. Has everybody got that? Okay? It's, it's, it, I, I did a podcast about it last night. I've talked about it all 2023. Christian nationalism, it's inevitable. Well, it has a, uh, it has a flaw from its eschatology because it's almost always post-millennial. Okay? But the, and Christian nationalism, they're like, we want the kingdom of God on earth and we want it now. Right? And so how are we going to establish it? We're going to take over all areas of the society and the culture, politically, legally, and then we're going to institute Christianity upon everyone, and we will establish the kingdom of God on earth. Okay, well, that's a problem. Do we believe God will establish a kingdom? Yes, it's his promise. It's not for us to try to fulfill that promise. Because my understanding is when God sets up a kingdom, it's going to be pretty obvious he's come to do so. Because the sky is going to split apart. He's going to come on a white horse with a sword. He's going to kill his enemies. And then he's going to sit on the throne. And guess what? He doesn't need Republicans or Fox News to pull that off. He doesn't need us to pull that off. Our job is to call people to faith in Christ. It's, it's trying to fulfill God's promise in, an, in, a, in a way that's not meant to be fulfilled. Does that make sense? Yes? Okay, that's very critical. That's very critical to this. So, because if we don't trust God's faithfulness, we will take over. And when we take over, that's not, I don't want to be anywhere around that. And we've seen 2,000 years of church history where churches try to do that. It's bad, right? So, what was number one? Who's the promise for? Number two, don't grab the wrong promise. Number two, God is faithful. Trust in that faithfulness. Number three? Are they conditional? Are they conditional? Okay, and I'll give you, we, we, we could come up with a lot more. Let's come up with one more. What would be one more very important principle? Okay, that's, we'll, we'll just throw that one in there quickly. We always look if God makes a promise to see if it has already been fulfilled in the past because if it has, we don't seek future fulfillment. That goes right along with what? Who is the promise for? All right? Okay, so you can throw that one down. One, a chance for one more, one more practical one. What do you think is another practical thing that we should, we should do so? I'm going to say this. God's promises should give us 
a sense of peace, security, and confidence. Now, they will not. If we grab onto the wrong one, that's not going to lead us peace, security. It's going to get us very disappointed. But we have, the way it's going to do so is we have to believe by faith, by faith, that's the key, that God will fulfill it. And that's, we don't always get there. Did Abraham always show that kind of faith in God's promises? No, he did not. But then there's a part where he does show that kind of faith. He was willing to offer up Isaac because he believed God could raise him from the dead. That's, that's some pretty strong confidence. But if we want that peace and that security, then we have to believe by faith that God will keep his promises. But those promises are supposed to lead that. It's supposed to bring that sense of security and peace. We can, I can't trust any other promise. I cannot trust a promise from anyone, anywhere, at any time. I'm sorry to tell anyone that I am, I'm not going to trust anyone's promise. Right? I mean, I've been a pastor for too long, right? You hear it all the time. You're the greatest teacher I've ever heard. Your sermons are amazing. This is amazing, church. I'm never going to leave. And you're like, whoa, what? What happened? That, like, uh, that, that. So now, what do I always joke? The people who praise me the most are the quickest to go, right? I, I prefer people to walk in. I just don't really like you. Okay, good. You're going to be here for a long time. <laughs> okay, that, that, that's, that's a good sign. I, I really don't like you. Thank you. Thank you. It's far better than you telling me you like me, okay? And, the, and look, it's not, it's not a negative thing upon anyone because we have a, we have a depraved heart. And we, we, we can, our, sometimes our promises are made out of what? Emotions may even be made out of good intentions. They don't last. So again, people's promises, you got to learn how to measure that or you're going to find yourself just always broken and hurt and and depressed and sad and and your life's just not going to be very good, okay? It's not. But you can trust in God's promises. But we struggle with God's promises because we are used to promises made like people make them, right? And so when we are like, God makes these promises, we get frustrated because they don't always show up the way we want them to show up. But we got to make sure we're grabbing onto the wrong promises. But if we really grab onto God's promise, it should give you an assurance and a peace. Just make sure you are grabbing onto the right promises. Because if you go from the scripture readings today, we start in Genesis 15. Those were promises made a long, long time ago. Hebrews 11, in Genesis, even in Genesis, in the readings, we see the fulfillment of part of it. Hebrews 11 shows more about those promises, right? And then in Luke shows the ultimate fulfillment in Christ. But there's still promises connected with that that have not yet been fulfilled. And we have to believe that if those were fulfilled literal, literally, that's the key word, right? That was literal, right? Then we believe the will be literal. But we have to believe by faith. All right, we'll stop right there. Lord God, we come before you this afternoon. We go into a new year with nothing but uncertainty because that's how every year begins. The only hope for certainty is not in anybody else, definitely not in ourselves, definitely not in any governmental agency or political leader. Our only certainty is that you have made promises and you will keep those promises.
Let us by faith cling to them and not to anything else so that we may find hope, peace, and stability in the coming year. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said,